It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK and a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, podcaster, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And on this episode, myself and Professor Anand Menon, Director of UK to Changing Europe, chatted to Eloise Todd. She is CEO, Chief Executive of Best for Britain, the Remain campaign group. She's been in the news since we spoke to her a few weeks ago, after it was revealed that George Soros, the billionaire speculator I suppose he is, gave her group 400 grand. And then, when certain newspapers claimed he was somehow subverting democracy by doing so, he topped it up to half a million, which is either classy or frankly insulting, depending on your point of view about Brexit, I guess. So, uh, Best for Britain have had an interesting start to the year, and this was an interesting and very fun chat with Eloise we had. It's very much worth sticking with to the very end. There's uh, some treats there, and I'll be back after the interview with some observations and admin. But we started the chat talking about what Best for Britain's aims are, and Eloise set the tone with some fairly punchy language. Here we go. The government want people to think that it's a completely done deal. It is not. That's it's kind of lie number one. Lie number two is this idea that if we reject the arrangements that they come back with, that we'd automatically go into no deal. Well, actually, that's not true either. You know, we have until March 2019, and the Europeans will be like, if 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 Westminster does reject the, the arrangements, hmm. Europe will be like, oh my God, what's going on over there? Sort yourselves out and tell us what you're doing. But they won't, at that particular moment in time, go, right, fine, you're off the cliff at this moment. We have until March 2019 to organise hmm. our way ahead. But yeah. if we had a second referendum, what would the question be? The one thing we know is that the British people voted to leave. So surely that shouldn't be an option in a second referendum. We shouldn't un- we shouldn't reopen something we've already voted on. Surely then the referendum mm. is about how we leave. No, you well, can't. I, I, I don't necessarily agree. I think I, I, I think you there are different ways to do it. I think that needs looking at carefully. But the obvious way would be compare the terms of the arrangements with what we've currently got. Which do you prefer? So remain staying in would be on the table. It's a different way think, of phrasing it, but you're still saying. I think. I think what we need to do is to think more creatively as well and be more honest with the British public about what a relationship within the EU can look like. I mean, the major concerns of the British public uh, in these opinion polls, which can sometimes not be too accurate, but a lot of the issues that come up in terms of Brexit are trade and immigration. Mm. They want better controls on immigration. Well, guess what? It's within our government's gift. It was in Theresa May's gift as Home Secretary to say if people come across, look for a job, and they haven't got one within four months, they have to go back. We just don't bother. We do not bother. And a lot of people, if that was in place and secure, they would feel a lot better about you know people coming over to try and get a job. So that's, that's something that we can do within the terms of being in the EU. And secondly trade you know people are really really concerned the british public are concerned that we get a good trade deal either with our european partners and with people like the us and they've been sold a complete pop on that score because 
you know, we have a really amazing trading arrangement right now that is not going to be easy to replicate. But they've been sold a complete put by everyone, aren't they? It's not just the government. I mean, Who the, else? the Labour leadership are saying we can have all the benefits of being in the single market while we're out. Well, they're saying they want that, but I think they're on a quick journey to understand that that's not actually possible. You can, like, No one can have their cake and eat it in this game. I mean, if we leave the single market, we'll see the death of our car industry within five, ten years. Even if we stay in the single market, what people are not pointing out is companies want to be near to where the rules are formed. They don't mm. just want to be kind of producing in this like annex where they're kind of getting a kind of six-month mm. delay and translating what it actually means. And the thing that I can't understand about the argument for software is people actually, you know, vociferously saying, well, let's stay in the single market, it'll be fine. I tell you what, one of the things that I feel really passionately about is having worked in and around EU policy for quite a lot of my career, it was always very obvious to me that the UK is, or certainly was, the most influential member state out of everybody. And mm. when it comes to financial services legislation, Europeans are like, give me a slap on the wrist for saying this, but frankly, a lot of it was very kind of London-centric and written by the UK. It's the kind of legislation we'll get back if we leave and we stay in the single market. Everyone will be like, what's this? This mm. looks a bit French. This looks a bit German. Mm. So the idea that it's that is actually completely losing control it is the definition of losing control, being handed stuff yeah. that we haven't had a say in. It's bonkers. And I think if people start to understand that, and they've not been told that, it's not their fault. People aren't daft. But they've been told that they can have this like absolutely halcyon vision of where Britain is. So the thing we have now is we've got an amazing opportunity to actually try and communicate to people what Brexit really means. And if they still want to do it, absolutely fine. But we've got to make sure that we're actually, some people are actually trying to explain and show and uh, suggest that we should have this um, take this last stage of the process really, really seriously. So if we asked you to rank your preferences mm. with regard to outcomes, given what you've just said, yeah. would it be in, totally out, Norway? I think it's all about uh, staying in and negotiating the kind of future we want within the EU. But what would your second best be? I... I you can't have a second best. I just, I, I can't, I can't see beyond it. If you want to be in, can't see beyond it. being just, out can't be second best. That's well, like saying, would you rather be alive or dead? Well, yeah, well except, I'd rather be alive or second best. The, be dead. It strikes me as being the problem of, of the sort of remain camp is you're partly arguing to stay in and you're partly arguing to stay in on the basis that the Norway solution is dreadful. But if we end up leaving, therefore logically you have to say actually we don't want Norway so you actually want if we end up doing Brexit you want a more harmful Brexit than we could have got because of the way you frame the argument about staying in. I mentioned the soft Brexit point because I don't think it's actually interrogated enough mm -hmm. um, but I, that's not our job. Our job is to talk about um, what the government's up to and compare it to you know what we've currently got basically and and the other thing about Norway soft Brexit you know it, it's a it's a conversation to have but it's it's not the position that's being negotiated right now yeah and there are there are different theories about whether there's a like sneaky finagling in of that and we all know that the Irish question is going to be difficult without um uh, the single market and mm. therefore full freedom of movement 
But it's just important for people to understand that we might actually be locking off a load of benefits without gaining very much at all and actually losing an awful lot of control. So yeah, as, as CEO of Best for Britain, you're very much, you want the UK in the EU. Yes. Either staying in or getting back in as soon as possible if Brexit happens. I honestly think that the reason I am passionate about this uh, campaign, I honestly think if if we don't get to stay in before March 2019, mm. there's a lot of people talking about transition, we can just tread water, we can mm. nip back in if we want, if we don't like it. I think that is complete and utter fantasy. And frankly, if we get past that 29th of March date, which frankly the a lot of the brexiteers are just clinging on for dear life all we've got to do is get past that day it doesn't matter what kind of brexit doesn't matter what it looks like just let's get past that day because mm-hmm. a lot of the real negotiations yeah. will come back after that it'll take us 10 years to negotiate brexit actually and then you're talking about within that time go back to the eu and say actually we might pop back in we would get a cacophony of swear words in different languages do you think and then we'd be like well, look, it's a club of that excites you, that idea, doesn't no, it? Would, you wouldn't, though, would you? What you'd get is a cacophony of bills going, yeah, come on back in, but you're going to have to pay this. Yeah, it yeah, would no, be a very they'd, difficult... They'd welcome us with open yeah. arms and open wallets, yeah, right? the goalposts would be, like, narrow. Yeah, be I mean, like, I mean, nice one, here's your target, Yeah, have a go. But there'd be one or two countries that wouldn't like it. They'd be Who? like... Well, the French have vetoed us before. That's true, yeah. Twice. But... Well, I suppose it all depends on how the finances I don't think you can underestimate the idea of like Brexit fatalism in EU countries and among people actually working on it in other countries and uh, Brexit fatigue. Yeah. The idea true. that in five or seven years, people are like, oh, you change your mind? They'll be like, for God's sake. They can't afford for this process to be fickle in, out, shake it all about. They can't afford that. Okay. They want to kind of execute it in a kind of, professional manner they don't really want it to happen but i think we've got to understand in britain that we've got 14 months to really take the decision and that's that's the that's the kind of the bit that hasn't come through yet there is another decision point and people in the country should feel confident about looking at what the deal is giving us looking at what we've got now and making their voices heard with their mps before that vote in parliament so how, how are you trying to persuade people and who are you trying to persuade We are trying to talk to people to let them know that there is this decision point. Because firstly, Mm. there is a, as I say, there's already this sort of slight change in these opinion polls, if you Mm. believe them. Um, We're also trying to dig into the data a bit more to better understand where the country is. Because as you say, you know, we haven't been great in this country in particular at understanding where the public is. We're doing a lot of work on the 2017 election data to see what um, that meant. Mm. And there was a lot more kind of tactical voting of, of Remainers than, than people first realised. It wasn't really a story of election night or in the weeks after. Um, but that is something that's kind of bubbled up as people have done the deeper dive on the data. Um, but we're talking to people about issues that they're, they're concerned about, um, trying to find the people that are worried about this and connect them with their MP just do the you know traditional kind of making sure people are in touch with their democratic representatives and giving people a voice and that's like really important uh, frankly whatever their view that they're they're getting their voice heard by their local MP. And are you trying to persuade Tory MPs to rebel? 
I think that there are some brave MPs that, for example, voted for the Meaningful Vote on December the 13th, and that's really, really important. It's really important to kind of confirm that stage in our democracy. And we would say to all of them, you know, your position is one thing, your party is another, your own job. But for crying out loud, if there's ever a time to sort of take a step back and look at, is this actually any good for the country? Is it good for my children? Is it good for my family? Is is this, you know, is this a train we actually need to stop and get off? It's now. So, yeah, we're trying to appeal to as many MPs as possible. But people voted for it. That's the trouble, isn't it? We had they a did. referendum. Two, nearly two years people ago. People voted right. for it. Um, you know, you'll be accused of being anti-democratic. I'm you absolutely are gorillas that are trying to pro-democracy, stop More democracy. a democratic vote going through. But that's the accusation. You must have had that, right? Oh, God, yeah. All and the time. But the point is, I don't believe that what's like, your response half to that? the country, 52% of the people that voted, should I say rather, which is more like 37% of the electorate, um, that they all actually voted... Uh, for one thing, that there were different things that people were voting for and against there. And I think the point is, we need to understand that better and to work out for them and help help sort of display whether the deal that we're getting addresses the concerns that they had. And, but, and there's, there's a sort of strong suggestion that they might not. But isn't that true of any democratic vote? I mean, people people would have voted in 2010... Some people might have voted Conservative because they thought David Cameron would carry on hugging hoodies. Some people might have voted Lib Dem because they thought they'd stop austerity. And oops, that's not what they got. But you don't suddenly say, OK, well, that, that election didn't work. Let's have another one very quickly indeed, because actually people were lied to or they didn't get what they thought they'd voted for. I mean, that's just part of a complicated process of aggregating preferences, isn't it? It's, it's never going to be exactly like everyone wants. Yeah, I mean, elections do come around regularly. This is, I think... We had a uniquely, um, a uniquely bad campaign in which a lot of people were lied to. The case wasn't made particularly clearly. You, you know, there was a straight up and down kind of. Well, we'll just see if it's more than fifty percent. On on, there are many other countries that have referenda a bit more frequently mm. on something of this magnitude. Would ask for a higher majority. For example, we didn't have any of that people went out of their way beforehand to stress it was advisory i don't like going down that route because you know they do have a mandate to start negotiating they were clear that will action mm. result of the referendum and I when you voted that, did but... you think it was advisory I and mean, when you went to that voting booth no your... no i mean i thought crikey i, I think it's going to be close but i hope we'll, i hope it'll be all right i hope it'll kind of squeak through but you know i'm very i come from the north and very clear about how um I spent when I did work in the EU institutions for a few years. I spent most of the time like trying to avoid telling people that uh, when I went home because I'd get like, especially like nights out, the conversation with a taxi driver on the way home, and I'd be like, "You're right, you're right. There's some problems with it, but overall, it's a good thing." Like the, this country has never been enamoured of it, and there are problems. But the point is, we we are there are so many things that that anchor us in a such a positive way that are, have been embedded and are kind of invisible. So this, this process of Brexit is, is actually exposing all the ways in which we rely on um, being part of that bloc and a very, very influential part of that bloc, if not the most influential member. That's what I can't get over. Mm. We are seeding is, leadership here. Is your night out in Hull indicative of 
something more about the UK's relationship with Europe. In Ooh, that, tell me how. Well, because the reason you don't want to talk about what you were doing in Brussels is because that would be regarded as crap chat, I should imagine, because nobody wants to talk about that, do they, on a night out. But maybe they should have done. You know, no, it would I was have been... talking about like, like having a friendly chat with a taxi driver on the way home and just yeah. not, not wanting to get into it. Yeah, but why not? You know, maybe we should all have been talking about Brussels more in the years Because it was 2am and Brexit. I'd had a couple of shandies and I wanted to get well, That's the best time to talk about <laughs> politics, I find. Um, but admit, is there not something in there that maybe we should have been talking about should, politics? I think I should uh, get out of this conversation before I start talking about my nights out in Hull anymore. Well, I just wonder if maybe we should all been talking about politics, Brussels politics, more in the years that we were in no, the there's, EU. There's a lot. There's a, there's a, we're still in. We're still in right. until March well, next that's year. True, yeah. We'll still be in if we want to be. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason there was a, an outvote, is that we didn't talk. It was this faraway place and you didn't talk about it. And all right, I get it's not the best chat for a night out in Hull. I don't know, I've never been out in Hull. I maybe think, that's all they talk about. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, city of culture. Talk about well, that. I'm sure that that's all they days. talk about then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, everybody should go. It's brilliant. Um, but... Basically, I think you point to another thing. Certainly, when I grew up, talking about politics was not something that you did. Mm. It was a bit mm. yeah. kind of embarrassing, a bit kind yeah. of revealing, a bit like, yeah. I think this. And I think there is that kind of culture um, in various places, I think. But the referendum's changed that a bit. I mean, that's one of the good things yeah, about the referendum, yeah, yeah. surely, is that people have become interested, motivated. I mean, you must have been well, around the country a bit before the referendum. I've never yeah. been in this country before where people on the train were talking about politics to each other. I, mean, well, I think was... the problem is now people are fed up of it and like, yeah. oh, God, can Brenda. I not just go away? Yeah, we're all, we're all uh, a bit I don't like Brenda. I can't stand Brenda. Well, she always speaks most I, I, highly gonna, of you. I'm not going to, you know, I better not slander her, but her, no. <laughs> oh, no, another election. Elections are brilliant. <laughs> Elections are the, you know, the, the the democratic process at its purest. James Miller, man yeah, of the well, well, I don't know, yeah, I don't know. It's let's true. Just, you mentioned Caroline Lucas. She is a best for Britain champion. She is. Um, champions? Did you have to have a meeting where you sat round and decided what you were going to call them? Decide yeah. you're going to call them champions? No. Really? Did you just tell them champions? <laughs> Come on, that must be brilliant. They must have loved that. Do they get badges. Yeah. I'll tell you what they do get. I was very excited when I started using the champion the trophy cup emoji Ooh. on twitter yeah so they Is that get what that they get? yeah because they're a champion at least that do they, do they have to put it in their profile I think it's great. I, I know the press releases always say, "Can you please say that this person is a best for Britain champion?" Like, Does anybody is anybody actually going to put that in their copy? Saying Caroline Lucas, best for Britain champion. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I haven't noticed. But we um, are going to start using that now. Aren't yeah, we? I like yeah. champions. It's quite eighties. Yeah. It? And do you squabble with the other, remote? You know, the, the factions. Britain, uh, in fact, is there a sort of people's front of Judea thing going on on the Remain side? We all talk incredibly often, and we try to coordinate as much as possible you know coordinate work together where it makes sense divide and conquer where it makes sense um and people are doing slightly different things but we're trying to make it as but everyone wants to be in charge presumably well i mean i think most people are focused on uh you know making the case and getting around the country so yeah who pays the wages well, I have to we, ask of any yeah. organisation, any think tank, where's the money come from? Most of our money, our biggest chunk of money so far, has come from the crowdfunder that we did okay. um, during the election. Right. Uh, so that 
which we committed to spend during the election. Oh. <laughs> um, so that was great. We, it was actually ended up being the biggest political crowdfunder in the UK ever. Oh, wow. wow. 413 grand in total. Um, so that was pretty amazing and very humbling. So that was from like 13,000 small donors from around the country. Don't ask me about the average. Yeah, he was trying to do the math. Four hundred thousand divided by thirty. That's quite a lot they're putting in there, isn't it? So that's that's thirty grand each. No, is that right? Oh, I don't know. Oh, good lord! Is that right? That's a lot. No, thirteen thousand, not thirteen. Oh people. yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so that's actually. It's a more reasonable uh, thirty quid. Thirty which is quid still each. Generous, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a journalist. We're not supposed to be able to do sums. We're not editing that out, are we? Okay, and. Where did you come from as a group? So on our board, we've got um, great people like Clive Cowdery, who's chair of the Resolution Foundation, Stephen Peel, um, who has done a lot of philanthropy, um, okay. Anatole Koletsky, and now we've got Mark Mallet-Brown's come in oh, yeah. uh, to kind of help kind of coordinate some of the groups in that way um, and make, make sure we're all kind of marching in the same direction but not kind of... That's quite an establishment, isn't it? not really not really I mean in terms of the business people on our board they are I don't think I'd count them as establishment as such they're kind of good people with a conscience that were worried about what was going on and as I say we've been very focused on our kind of uh, grassroots and making sure we crowdfund and listen to our membership and train people around the country and have our kind of on the ground work is really really important to us how many members have you got well we've got about 50,000 and we are trying to kind of train up kind of local leaders um, so we trained up a thousand people before Christmas uh, going around the country doing these barnstorms which is great training hardcore remainers to basically have very open conversations with people that might have voted leave <laughs> yeah. and doing role plays and teach them to think really differently about just trying to get into a conversation with people about what might be the underlying issue. So not preaching, not telling people what to think, but trying to find points of commonality. Um, and those have gone down a storm. Like By the end, people are like, that's really useful. And it gives them a bit of confidence to not mm. to get outside the echo chamber. Because I think the problem with the movement writ large is, you know, it, it's it's been a bit of a... I think all of us went if we thought that way and were disappointed by the outcome of the referendum all of those groups email chains whatever they were became a bit like sort of therapy sessions of like you know this is terrible what can we do and it's yeah. all that self-reinforcing mm. and we've got to get out of that and that's you what we're committed to do a disproportionate number of your volunteers and your members come from very strongly remain areas anyway the interesting thing is because we raise this money during the election and we did a, a tactical vote campaign. We pushed out our um, campaign nationally. So we have a ridiculous spread across right. lots of constituencies, which is quite valuable. I'm not saying we've got loads of people in everywhere, yeah. but um, we've got a really good spread of people across a lot of places. So um, thanks to what we did during the election. So you've got volunteers you can send out onto the streets of Hull to tell people... We've got a few, but we're, we're going there to do training sessions. You're training them to have conversations with taxi drivers. <laughs> After a couple of shandies. Well, is, is that the training? Is that the training going? <laughs> well, uh, as, my, my advice will be pre-shandy. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, I'm, I'm intrigued though. I want to go on a night out in Hull, City of Culture, actually, and they do or do not talk about out. the EU. I might start, you go to start some EU chat. Will it be the best night out if I start EU chat? Is that, go that to might affect us? Go to Spiders. Spiders, that's terrific. Spiders. It's amazing. On Saturday night, and all the Why is it called tizer. Spiders? Because people fall around the dance floor and they've got eight legs. It's not with a Y, it's just Spiders. That's a terrible name for a nightclub. It's brilliant. Because people dance like spiders. No. I don't want to go to a club like that. That sounds awful. No. Because they bite. No, look it up. Because it's full of creepy things. This is a terrible (laughs) name for a nightclub. Sorry, spiders, if you've got a Twitter account. Spiders is classic. All right. And the Welly. The Welly? Yeah. What's the Welly? The Welly is another excellent club. Is it called the Wellington? I believe that might be its full name. Right. I've only ever known <laughs> okay. it as the Welly. Because, again, why would I want to go to a Welly? That would be all stinky. I don't know. Um, right, let's finish up with the features. First of all, the best thing and the worst thing about Brexit. Best thing! Oh. Worst thing. Eloise, what is going to be the best thing about Brexit? It not happening when no, you a can't massive majority you can't of the that. country... Assuming it happens, uh, there must be some sort of upside there. to it. The upside of this whole process is people talking about the yeah, kind of okay. stuff that should have been talked about during the referendum campaign. OK. So, and, and I also think we're highlighting weaknesses and problems in our democracy, which is not actually fit for purpose, and that will hopefully lead to bigger, lasting change, whatever happens. And you were saying the best thing is it's not going to happen. How confident are you about that it won't happen? I think if everybody that cares about it and everybody that's worried about it puts themselves forward, volunteers if they want to, and understands that there is a real opportunity to change this, I'm really confident. Give us a number. Yeah, right. If I was to bet you one (laughs) Jaeger bomb in the welly... Tizer. Okay, what a Tizer? It's, it that's, soft, like, that's a soft drink. Yeah, it's like, it's like a cocktail of different alcoholic drinks and it tastes like Tizer. It's completely magical. <laughs> okay, I mean, Tizer's not alcoholic. Okay, right, well, you could have one of them. I'll just have a normal Tizer, I think. That sounds a bit dodgy. But if I was to offer that bet that it's not going to happen, you're saying it's not going to happen, I'm saying it is, would you take that bet? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty confident, I think. I don't know how much a Tizer costs in the world. Probably not a lot. What's going to be the worst thing about Brexit? If it happens. When it happens. Yeah. If. No, it's uh, about all right. if. All right. If, all right. if it happens, then, what's That's going to be the worst yeah. thing? Apart from the fact you're going to have to buy me a Tizer in, well, in the welly. Well, I think the worst thing about it would be that I think in four or five years' time, there'd be, we're on a trajectory where people are starting to change their mind and it's only going in one direction and there'd be a sense of it was just a bit too late and if only we'd have known we wouldn't have done it and so I think there's a real responsibility on well people in the establishment people in power to be very clear about what the trade-offs are what the consequences are because I think there'd be a really um, the next generation will feel like it's totally ripped off by the establishment if this goes ahead without the information mm. available. And then the whatever drove the Brexit vote, if you like, is going to either be balanced out by a similar sort of anger on the other side or it's going to be redoubled and it's going to be... It's going to make politics I think, pretty I ugly, think, isn't it? I honestly, if, it, happens, goes, if it goes then. ahead, we, we're going to have like American-style inequality in this country. We've already got like massive inequality and I think it'll just get absolutely worse and it'll affect the poorest people in this country and that is what the worst outcome of Brexit would be. 
Okay, and finally, what's the name of this, this feature, Anand? Something to do with what you have to read. In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Recommendations to understand Brexit. What would you reckon? I want to understand Brexit, other than listening to this podcast. It can't have anything made by Anand or by Best for Britain. What would you recommend? I would recommend watching the one-minute Monty Python sketch of the Black Knight. And that is basically <laughs> what Brexit yes, is. Yes, that is a good recommendation. Have you got a recommendation, Anand, that yeah. is not a book that you've written or anything like that? I do. Okay. Uh, we've got a team that's based in Birmingham. Raquel oh, Ortega, Philip McCann. I'm sure Raquel Ortega is great, but... You can't you keep coming back stuff. with all your what? recommend, all your your well, people. Always to be the best. What can I tell you? All right, what are the names? Raquel Ortega. They're looking at how Sorry, Brexit I'm... will affect different parts of the UK differently. Oh, that is that is. I did speak over who they were. Raquel Ortega. I've, she's got four mentions now. Who's the Raquel pal- Ortega, University of Birmingham. <laughs> Philip McCann, University of Sheffield. How Brexit affects different bits of the UK differently. Oh, that's who Ali McGovern uh, recommended for the McCann, which you know because yeah. you listen to your own yeah. podcast. Obviously, I know. you're just you're I just uh, reinforcing that one. Absolutely. You think he's particularly good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how Brexit affects different parts of the UK. Okay. And for a later read, you can always go for Five Go to Brexit Island. Is that any good? It's quite funny. few controversial statements in there chief among them that five go to brexit island is quite funny some might seize on eloise's claim that most of best for britain's money came from crowdfunding as controversial when george soros has given them half a million as mentioned earlier so i should point out that that chat took place a few weeks ago before the soros donation so what she said was very much true at the time but yeah, take your pick of strong statements there in that chat. That the government is lying about Brexit. That it will take 10 years to negotiate Brexit. That Brexit won't happen at all. And if it does, Eloise will have to buy me a cocktail in a whole club with a strange name. Um, make up your own mind to what extent I'm actually winning there. Um, it's no surprise that Best for Britain have seen their profile increase in recent weeks. Eloise, as you heard, is uh, straight talking northern and female all qualities lacking in many many people with views on brexit or at least with views on brexit that get widely publicized um, although we're doing something about that here at uk and changing europe i've got two more female interviewees scheduled in the next few weeks which will balance the male female ratio as i promised in the very first episode i am a man of my word um, the remainers have now pulled ahead in terms of uh, the people we've uh, interviewed so far but i've got some brexiteers lined up before easter but if there's anyone you particularly want us to interview from either side of the debate please get in touch let me know and we'll do our best to get them i am at political yeti on twitter uk in a changing europe podcasts at gmail.com on email or james-miller.com is my website you can get me there uh, the uk in a changing europe gang are at uk and eu on twitter or uk and eu.ac.uk on the interweb if you enjoyed this podcast please rate and review it on your preferred podcast platform and if you enjoyed it come back in two weeks for another one i've been james miller the music once again has been requiem for a fish by the freak fandango orchestra hey here's a thing i was in madrid 
a couple of weeks ago and I went to the Requiem for a fish. They have a thing where they bury a sardine. Um, it's quite a, an odd uh, affair, really. It was uh, something to do with Lent or something. I mean, I didn't go just for that, but it happened to be on. Uh, if you happen to find yourself in Madrid just before Lent, go and see it. But I wonder if the music has something to do with it. Anyway, this has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council.